This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast. The Focus Hunting Podcast is part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. For more information on Waypoint, head on over to waypointtv.com. Alright, when it comes to being prepared for elk hunting in the backcountry, there's no one more prepared physically and mentally than Dan State. Dan is the founder of Elk Shape. Uh, for you those of you who don't know what Elk Shape is, maybe head on over to www.elkshape.com. See what they got going on over there. Anyway, Dan sits down with me and him and I, we chat about his backstory and uh, and he gives us the lowdown on how he prepares for elk hunting every season and uh, and what it takes to not only be a, a elk hunter, but be a successful elk hunter. We talk about not only how he prepares himself, but everything he's leaving behind while he's elk hunting, you know, family, work, uh, all that other stuff. So a uh, really great episode, hope you guys enjoy it. Like the last episode, this got recorded back in August, but I'm uh, just getting it out to you now, so better late than never. Anyway, uh, hope you guys enjoy. So, uh, so Dan, you got uh, you got lots going on, and uh, and I think uh, a lot of people already know who you are. I think more so in the United States, but uh, maybe uh, maybe we could just start uh, with a bit of your background. You know, before you kind of you kind of got into elk shape and all that, we can maybe dive into that a little bit later. But I'm kind of curious just to know like how you got into hunting and uh, and how old you were that sort of thing. Oh, right on. So you're Canadian. We're doing yeah, a Canadian you, podcast. That's it, brother. Canadian, oh. Canada, Canada. Oh, eh? Canada. <laughs> uh, I'm not that far from y'all. I'm in Spokane, Washington. I've been to Canada multiple times to go skiing, to go to Banff, never hunted. Well, that's a lie. I've hunted Alberta for whitetails. Nice. Um, love Canada. Kind of glad to see the border kind of open up, which is dude it's just nice to see that i know there's so many people that enjoy 
getting up there. And there's a lot of Canadian outfitters that quite honestly depend on some of the U S dollars coming up. And, you know, I just feel bad for those folks that have been basically just kind of left there hanging. Yeah. They got slammed, man. You got not cool. No, not cool at all, but no, for those that don't know anything about Oak shape, um, that's just a brand that I, I founded in 2013 uh, before that, I founded a thing called um, Train to Hunt, which was an online, basically, workout program for anyone getting ready for hunting. And uh, then it kind of grew into Train to Hunt challenges. And then at some point, my business partner and I, I wouldn't say we didn't see eye to eye, just we weren't, we weren't jiving. Things weren't grooving. There wasn't, it wasn't cohesive. And so we decided to part ways and we, um, he chose train to hunt and I chose the gym. So we kind of each bought each other out. And so I started running, uh, the gym solo in 2012 and it's a, it was a CrossFit gym and a speed and strength and conditioning gym did that, um, all the way up until 20. 2019 i think or 2018 late and sold my gym completely the whole time i was still doing elk shape and elk shape was kind of just uh um we didn't really we weren't really doing much with it honestly just kind of making some youtube content and uh helping people blogging workouts and just nothing charging, no, not monetizing it at all and just growing. And then I kind of, once I sold the gym, I kind of went full-time elk shape. And when I sold the business, I was like, okay, I have, I gave myself one year. I'm like, you can do elk shape for one year. And if you can pay the bills, uh, you get to keep doing it. And if you are out of money, you got to go get a real job. So currently I'm still doing elk shape full time. So I'm paying my bills and, um, it's awesome. It's a digital platform to where I do everything that you do probably. So podcast, YouTube, social, uh, and then we do live elk shape camps across the country. Haven't done one in Canada yet. And, uh, we've gotten lots of requests, but it's just, it's been a COVID thing. So we just do live elk shape camps and help people kind of crush the elk hunting learning curve. And we sprinkle in personal development, fitness, nutrition, uh, a lot of archery and everything else. But that's the 30,000 foot view of elk shape. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot going on. One thing about elk is uh, when anybody who's, who's elk hunted, they know it's, uh, it's a little more than just, uh, than just grabbing your rifle on a Sunday morning and getting out in the bush. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I know some mugs who, who got uh, damn lucky heading out in the back country and just happened to come across an elk and, and pop it. But uh, it takes the, it takes a lot more involvement, a lot more dedication and a lot more discipline than just, uh, than just, uh, you know, your, your weekend of, uh, of hunting once or twice a year. That's for sure. So uh, it is, it's like yeah. you signed up for hard work, man. You like, you're like, Oh, I'm going to go elk hunting Well, you're going elk hiking and you're going to work hard. And nothing's going to come easy. And uh, I like that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hunts that you can kind of just pick the bow up off, you know, out of the case, blow the dust off and go. Um, I would say not all elk hunts, but a lot of them, 
it's not going to be a very fun experience if you do that. Yeah, definitely not. So how long, uh, how long have you been hunting? Uh, well, probably got my hunter safety when I was 10. 10. So yeah. So you, I don't want to uh... age myself, but 30 <laughs> oh, man, years. You're, you're still young. You're still young. And, uh, I did. I didn't start elk hunting until I was 20. So first 10 years of my hunting career, if you will, was filled with grouse and deer and deer and more deer. And then somehow I fell into elk hunting and have never looked back. Yeah, no doubt. Is uh, so your dad, uh, your dad, a hunter, grandpa, a hunter, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So my dad definitely was, uh, he still is as a hunter and, um, uh, you know, I would say he's always, he's, you know, his uncle got him into hunting, uh, thankfully, which got me into hunting because otherwise I don't think he would have hunted. His folks didn't hunt. He's from Georgia. Just not really, you know, elk hunting is not a thing really in Georgia unless you're traveling. And, you know, he wasn't that serious of a hunter. Um, we were pretty poor actually growing up. And so I think a lot of the hunting he did was to like literally feed us, like put food on the table. Like that's what we ate was deer and stuff. And, uh, so looking back, I'm glad he had some success cause we were able to eat. And, uh, you know, as he got older, you know, I probably, my personality is way different than my dad. Like he's pretty chill and I'm not. And so once I got out of high school, I was ready to get like, I was, I decided to not pursue baseball any further. And I was like, I need to do something besides just work out. I'm going to pick, I like hunting. I'm going to try some, I get back into hunting and I hadn't even bow hunted yet. I just started to get back into hunting and my personality is kind of all or none. And it just kind of took off from there and he followed suit. Yeah, I bet that's, uh, it was the same thing for us. I mean, our dad, uh, you know, he hunted up, up here in the North. It's, uh, it's basically moose hunting. So that fed us uh, pretty much all year. Get a moose. Oh, so, yeah. Dude. Isn't moose meat like out of this world? You know, uh, I thought so last year I went antelope hunting in Alberta and I don't know, man, that antelope is, it's pretty damn good eating. Oh, you guys got antelope up in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in British Columbia. So, okay. um, I went over, my brother lives out in Red Deer. Okay. Um, okay. And I got a good buddy out in Medicine Hat and I went hunting with him last year. Uh, we went antelope hunting and man, fun, crazy fun hunt, but even better, even better eating. You know, antelope is the, the, the all-time best meat. And for a while there, I didn't want people to know that. <laughs> um, but at this point, I don't give a shit. Like, honestly in my opinion, antelope is so far above and beyond anything I've ever had that it's, uh, it's undeniable, man. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it took me by surprise how good it was like, even people in my family, like I got three kids and, you know, they'll eat elk and, and deer and, and moose, but, um, they, you know, they'll eat a, a bit of it here and there. I made them some antelope and like, they all just like, Hey, throw some more on the barbecue. We need to, we, I want some more of that. So yeah, I wish we had uh, I wish we had those suckers out here in BC cuz I'd be hunting them every year, that's for sure. Well, I tell you man, I think um I don't know what it is, like certain antelope are better than others. There's some that live truly truly in the desert 
and they eat a little bit of grass and a lot of sage and they are sagey, but they're still tender. Oh, yeah. And then there's antelope. And I'm wondering if this is what you killed where they kind of get a mix of, they'll go on to like irrigated, yeah. some sort of alfalfa. They'll get their water from the alfalfa. Yeah. And then they'll go back out to the desert and kind of backfill. And to me, those are the best tasting antelope. Yeah. This antelope, the ones we were going after, they're all farm field um, mm-hmm. raised antelope so they're pretty it was pretty damn good i'd love to get Dude, another one for sure they're the best so georgia is that where you're from originally or or are oh, you no. from uh, washington i'm from i'm from spokane washington oh yeah uh born and raised um my dad moved up to coeur idaho when he was uh 18 or 17 and that's where he met my mom and it's history as they say yeah no doubt so but i mean like washington it's not very well known i mean there is elk there but it's not compared to some of the other states like idaho montana uh well known for elk it's not from what i know anyway it's not as as uh you know well known as those states were you like did you ever hunt uh what about anything else like um spring bear deer you ever big into those yeah so um washington does have elk they just they just kind of screw it all up on how they manage it so they have like british columbia same as same as we do here Oh, really? I'd love to hear how you guys manage it. But uh, like, so Washington state divides the state into two halves, east and west, the Cascades being the border. And those Cascades obviously roll into BC. Um, and you have to choose which side of the state you want to hunt elk and you can't hunt both sides. And then from there, you have to oh. choose your weapon. So if you're going to be an archery elk hunter or a muzzleloader or rifle, and uh, then from there, their, their season dates are absolute garbage. So like an archery elk season is 12 days in Washington. And a muzzleloader's, I think, six days. And a rifle's six days. And they're real spread out. And so it's, you know, we have a high density of human beings in Washington, obviously with Seattle and Olympia and Vancouver. Um, so it doesn't disperse hunters. Like in Montana... They got a six week long archery season and a five week long rifle season. And that's one tag. You don't have to choose a weapon. And that really spreads people out uh, and they don't divide the state up. And I think that's awesome. It doesn't promote crowding. Whereas Washington, they're actually promoting crowding by you got to choose which half of the state you got to choose which weapon that's all you get. And it's a short season. And then the other dumb thing that they do is, if you want to put in for any of the Washington state draw, like limited areas for elk, uh, you have to buy your elk tag up front and there's like no refund. Like you didn't draw. Well, here's your general elk tag. You're stuck with an elk tag at non-resident price, which is terrible, you know? So they just, they suck. And then their draw, I don't like their draw system. It's all, it's all pretty much bonus points. So everything's squared so you got a bunch of guys with damn near 30 points 30 years of putting in 30 times 30 is how many times their name goes in the hat yet somebody new to the game can throw their name in the hat and get pulled out with zero points and then so you just end up having so many people that never draw i'd love to see some sort of preference in there at least some sort of allocation towards preference so we can get these old timers their tag they've been putting in mm. for 30 years 
At least that's the way I see it. Um, but Washington does have some really amazing limited entry elk hunts. I've actually drawn, believe it or not, I drew with 11 points and drew a limited uh, elk tag one year and back in 2011 and got a really nice bull in the wilderness. And it was an incredible hunt, but um, I've only killed to date two bulls in my home state. Uh, the first elk I ever killed was uh, a public land bull and then that draw tag. And then actually this year is the first year in a long time I'm actually going to hunt Washington. And um, I have a tag every year, but Kevin, I hardly ever, like I, I hardly ever even hunt Washington just because I'll have tags in other states and it's just right. way better opportunity. Yeah, that's cool. That's one cool thing about the states is you guys can just bounce around from state to state. It's uh, it's really for easy. now. Yeah, for yeah. Now. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully it stays that way. We don't we don't have that luxury up in Canada. It's a lot. Really? Yeah, it's a lot harder to get. Uh, like my brother was he was born and raised in British Columbia. For him to come here and hunt, um, he I I have to host him, and it costs me seventy five dollars. I have to fill out a form. Have to send it away have to get it then he has to pay or he has to fill out another form um and then he has to buy his tags which are ridiculously priced and yeah it's just uh it, it's so much of a hassle we've done it before and then you know we've we started early and then they said oh we, they never got one of our one of our never got a signed sheet from one of us and oh, man, oh. It's, it's just a hassle so it's so yeah. fun fact i actually dated a canadian girl for quite a while oh, like nice. we, got, we got pretty serious and um i don't even know what she's up to now you know how that goes and that was a long time ago but yeah we were pretty serious like and she had a place i probably shouldn't say names because i don't want to like give away the area too much but uh let's say somewhere from somewhere south of banff but not really that close to banff in, okay. in the in the Kootenays. Can I oh, say the Kootenays? Yeah. Oh yeah, you can say yeah, you can say okay. it, man. It's uh, BC no is a big place. We got 94 percent of BC is, uh, is is public land, so exactly. A lot of ground so to cover. unbelievable elk numbers um, by her place up there, and some of the most beautiful mountains. And I was pretty much like, oh, I'm hunting this for sure. Like we're getting married. I'm gonna become <laughs> a dual citizen and it's going to be game on yeah. and that never happened or whatever but um i just have always wanted to hunt the bc rockies man it's just yeah. something about that country yeah it's cool it's uh, i took an elk out of the rockies last year on uh, on a goat trip actually we were hiking out and uh, we came across a, a nice herd and there was a nice uh, six by six there so pulled him out of there which uh which wasn't easy we're an extra three days to our trip dragging that sucker out but um it uh, it was all worth it as they always are man that 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 country is amazing um how are how are your elk numbers um you know they're lower than what they used to be um we've had a lot of forest fires up here um, a lot of guys blame it on that a lot of guys blame it on over hunting um lots of pressure really? yeah um wolves are a big issue as well um so there's been a lot of about that. Yeah. A lot of logging in the past. They've created a lot of access roads, which are hard on the elk numbers too, and stuff like that. So it's kind of a cumulative um 
you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in that that aren't uh, that aren't favoring the elk. A lot of guys I know in Region Eight would like to see the elk turn into a limited entry hunt. So I don't know how that would fly over though, but uh, maybe they could shorten it a bit. We have fairly long seasons up here. Our elk starts for archery. It starts September first, goes to the ninth, and then it's wide open for rifle until uh, October twentieth. So okay, um, we got a long season, yeah. So. Um, yeah, it is what it is. There's uh, there's lots going on other than that with our with the way our wildlife is managed. So, um, but we don't want to get into that. Um, so, elk shape. Uh, you said you do live elk shape camps. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? What is what's that all about? Yeah. So, I mean, I was at a point when I started elk hunting, like. I think it was 2001. I went out rifle elk hunting and I killed a bull with a rifle at 20 yards, 15 minutes into the hunt. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, wow. An elk is huge. Look at all this meat. Um, uh, pretty excited about this. And so what do I got to do to hunt these things when they're bugling? Cause I've heard they bugle. Got to get a bow. So just went and bought a bow and then begged my uncle to take me elk hunting. Cause I knew he was an elk hunter archery in Idaho, dude. He, he's like, great. I'll take you. Um, love my uncle to death. Not, not very seasoned elk hunter. Didn't really know. Looking back, I don't think he had any mentorship. He just kind of was really good at hiking and, uh, knew how to find elk, which is a good, good combination, really good combination. But, uh, so we hunted together on and off that first year and we had some encounters and uh, I don't think I got a shot off and, and I hunted the whole season, probably three or four weeks worth of elk hunting, which is a ton. And that season closed and I didn't, and I, I didn't get an elk and I was like, okay, so that was 2002. And I was like, okay, I need to do a lot of things to get better at elk hunting, not only from a training standpoint, but from an archery standpoint to understanding more about the animal and their behavior. And then like really focused on learning the country more. So I started scouting a ton more and just doing everything I, I could get my hands on. So in 2002, there wasn't a lot of like YouTube and uh, podcasts and digital assets out there to, to get your hands on. You had to go like talk to people, um, or get VHS or DVDs. So that's what I did. Started buying up every resource I could and started watching like, you know, Primo's hunting videos and a bunch of other ones. Very ignorant to like the fact that these are being filmed on down here in the States on pay to play ranches that are strictly managed for high trophy potential, high bull to cow ratio, and Primo's truth videos, they're calling in giant bull left and right and getting 20 yard shots and having amazing encounters. And, and I'm like taking notes and thinking that's how it's going to be on public land. I'm going to fast forward quite a bit, but 2003, 2004, 2005, tag soup, out of state, lots of days in the field. Like we're not talking, oh, I got one week vacation. We're talking, remember, I'm all or none. So we're talking the entire month, hunting solo, 
trying to figure this out, hunting with my dad. Uh, and by that point, I think it was 2006, I finally um, killed an elk with, I killed a bull with a bow, but it wasn't in Idaho. I had drawn a New Mexico elk tag and killed on that hunt. And um, it was, I got to say, it was, a, it was a great feeling walking up on, on something I've been trying to do for several years. That learning curve didn't stop there. I continued to hunt Idaho that same year with two tags. So one in New Mexico, one in Idaho, didn't get an elk killed. 2007, I drew New Mexico again, which by the way, was the last time I've ever drawn that state uh, and killed my second bull with a bow and then came back to Idaho, hunted the rest of the season, didn't get it done. 2008, I hunt Idaho, can't get a bull killed. I hunt Montana, I get my third bull killed with a bow, fourth elk total. And then in 2009, I finally killed my first bull in Idaho, uh, a seven by seven, and then I killed the bull in Montana that same year. And then from 2010 to present, I've probably killed at least two bulls a year, every year. since then maybe more um i've had a good luck a good like so i don't tell you like numbers of bulls to impress anyone i'm telling you to impress upon you that from 2002 to 2008 i did not kill an idaho elk and i spent more than enough time to to get it done i just didn't really understand what i was doing and i would never take that back kevin i i those learning years is what made elk shape so I was like, I've always been like fired up to help people not struggle in the elk hunting learning curve like I did. Yeah. So if you're going to ask me like what changed like in those eight years, like how did you kind of bust through the learning curve? It was mentorship. Um, and so I had a mentor, a local guy who worked in the archery shop that I went to. And I would tell him about all my stories and close calls and encounters. And he could tell, like, I was, I was working really hard and just not sealing the deal. And, and finally he was like, you know what, I'll meet you out in the woods and I'll take you, we'll go to your spots and I'll show you, I'll get you a bull. I'll call a bull in for you. And I was like, okay. And just that week with him taught me so much about what I was doing wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then totally. the very next couple seasons, I ended up hunting with a couple other guys, including Larry D. Jones, who's like in the bow hunting hall of fame. He's legendary. And so I had some really phenomenal mentorship that just put the pieces together. And that's why elk shape camp. I was like, we got to do a camp where not only do we teach guys the ins and outs of elk hunting, the most common mistakes, teach them about how to understand elk. Cause elk are, in my opinion, even in Canada, like I can still probably predict what elk are going to want to do given the terrain and topography. Uh, There's certain things just elk need and they have little tendencies on their behavior, depending on the rut. And uh, you can take advantage of that, man. So that's why we started Elk Shape Camp. And what it's turned into is 
a personal development camp disguised as an elk hunting learning curve camp. So obviously we'll teach you all the elk stuff, the vocalizations, the biology, the behavior, the gear, the tactics, the research, the e-scouting, all that. But more importantly, we're going to teach you how to leverage elk hunting so that you can create a better disciplined lifestyle where you can delay gratification in the fullest by um, getting up earlier than you are and getting your workouts bankrolled and eating for performance and working harder at work and working harder on your relationships and taking care of home life so that you can hunt your best and dialing in your finances because this shit ain't cheap. You know, mm -hmm. this thing called elk hunting is expensive and fine tuning the shot process and overcoming target panic and understanding how to work on your own bows. And so it's just evolved and it's so much fun. Yeah. There's man, there's just, there's so much to it. Uh, you know, when you try to explain to the guys, you know, it's funny cause you, you talk to guys and guys that hunt and you, you're talking to them in June and, and they're like, what are you doing? And you're like, Oh, I'm doing this and that uh, getting ready for elk this year. And they're like, Oh man, it's only June. You got lots of time. And then September rolls around and, you're the one pulling an elk out of the backcountry. It's uh, you got to be a little more involved. These are live camps you're holding, like uh, online only. No, they're in person. Oh, they're in person. Okay, cool. Yeah, you, I mean, do honestly, you... the doing streaming and stuff, it's not the same. Like, no, definitely. You need yeah. me in your face. I'm a very intense individual. I need to be there. <laughs> I want to find out what you suck at the most, and I will. And I want to create a blueprint for every individual based on their weaknesses so that they're focusing on overcoming those weaknesses throughout the off season. And, and we do those camps early in the year so that you have several months leading up to September to get everything dialed. Right. Right. So is this all like in class time? Are you guys doing like, um, are you doing like, like uh, field stuff, you know, like uh, in, any training, any shooting, any stuff like that, or is it all just um, in class time, just, just um, techniques and, and stuff like that? Well, it's a three-day camp and we do a mixture of classroom lecture, but we usually break everybody up and I bring an army of subject matter experts with me because our camps are usually 50 athletes. So oh, um, wow. I'll bring a dedicated e-scouting guy who lectures every day, small group cool. on e-scouting, um, which there's nobody better. His name's Mark Livesey. Yeah. I bring um, Joel Turner, who's a mental shot coach. Uh, one of the greatest teachers I've ever seen, and he literally deteriorates all target panic issues on everybody, uh, at least helps people learn how to mitigate target panic, which everybody has to some degree, um, yeah. and yeah. create a shot process, a sequence, and how to stay conscious and present throughout the shot process. We bring uh, Dirk Durham, one of my best buddies, to teach everyone how to make the elk vocalization. So you're getting coaching on your elk sounds from arguably the best elk caller in the world, Dirk, um, with Phelps game calls. Jason Phelps has been to a few camps. He'll be coming to at least one next year. Uh, we bring Bill Vanderhaven. He owns Iron Will Broadheads out of Colorado, and he's an engineer. So we bring him in to kind of lecture on setting up the perfect arrow and broadhead tuning, which is a huge thing for elk hunting and Obviously, I'm there to teach more of the mental toughness and the lifestyle as well as the nutrition fitness. And so we have we have a day and a half at the gym. We have archery range time. 
and a lot of classroom time. And it's just the thing that people don't know about these camps is that when you sign up, you're like literally signing up to network with 49 other like-minded individuals. So we've had so many friendships and hunting partnerships born from these camps. And you end up with a network of uh, like-minded peers, trustworthy peers to help, you know, keep you accountable and to help elevate your game, iron sharpening iron. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's awesome. It must be, uh, you know, for some people, I mean, one of the biggest hurdles and obstacles about getting into hunting, especially elk hunting is, is that mentorship and with something like this, man, you must get a lot of positive feedback from it for sure. That's cool. Yeah. My only goal is to change lives at this camp, which kind of sounds pretty lofty, but it's not because, you know, we, it, we've got a proven system to, to really, I even bring a financial coach, my personal financial financial coach, I bring to these camps because I think if you are putting hunts on credit cards and going into debt to hunt, you're doing it wrong. And I think hunting is really expensive. And I think you need to have a hunt budget. And I think you need to have people, somebody above you mentoring you saying, okay, dude, you got $6,000 worth of gear here and you haven't even bought a single elk tag yet. You're doing it wrong. You know, hold on to that sleeping bag for two more years. Don't upgrade that tent yet. Get yourself an elk tag, uh, create a side hustle so that you have additional income coming in when you're hunting, you're still generating dollars. Like we do it all at these camps because it's a lifestyle. Definitely. That sounds, that's an action pack three days of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We're going to, we, we knock socks off and that's, that's the goal. No doubt. How many of these camps do you hold a year? So 2021, we did seven and we did them back to back. Uh, this next year we're doing only four because I want to not travel as much just because of home life. I think it's, I got little kids. Oh, do you? So, How many kids do you have? I have two. I got a seven and a five-year-old, and uh, oh. they're just at a too fun of an age to be gone that much. So we're going to do four camps next year. Um, they're all really big camps, and they're in badass locations, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, you think you can squeeze one in Canada maybe in 2023? Yeah, I think we're going to have to come to Canada, man. It's just too many people, too many oh, folks have reached you, out. I think you'd sell out. You'd have no problem filling seats, that's for sure yeah cool so you got two kids seven and five that's busy i got uh i got three kids nine seven and five so i know all about that and oh okay. man you got how, it yeah how do you how do you find the time like man that's one thing i really struggle with is is uh is time it's hard to it's hard to find time for all my kids stuff and then um that still dedicate as much time as i need to not only training but work which takes up you know tons of my time and then you know the house chores and all that stuff man it's uh it's a juggling act time management is everything to me um which is why i am one of those people that you know i used to sleep in uh not anymore i'm one of those people that gets up super today i was up at 4 30 and it's because of kids uh i have a tremendous workload. I create some, I create some of the highest volume of content out of any content creator out there. i make two YouTube videos per week. I do one podcast a week. I post to social platforms 
and I am working with at least 10 different companies at any given time, helping them curate content. So in order for me to hunt my best, my home life has to be dialed. And it starts with communication with my wife. And I'm not a great communicator. I mean, it's everything up in my head. I don't do a great job of dumping out on my wife and say, oh, here's what I'm thinking. I'm getting better. But there was like, it's a learning curve too. Like I used to kind of not tell my wife my hunt plans because I didn't really want to get in an argument over how much I was going to be gone. I just kind of tell her last minute as I was walking out the door. Dude, I dude, that's also familiar. No, it's it's one of those things where you just yeah, you know, you uh, beg for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. <laughs> that's not a good that's, program, gentlemen. Yeah. Um, it's that's not definitely one thing I got to work on. So as soon as I get a draw result or find out about a tag, I'm going upstairs to the main calendar, and I'm writing it down and highlight, and I'm telling her, "Hey, I updated the calendar. You might want to check it out." And I know. I know what's coming. And so if you think my life's just perfect and peachy and it's, you know, yeah, this is how I make my living, but still there's a cost involved of me being gone. And, and no matter how much mitigation I do, there's always a burden left behind, especially when you have young kids, as you know, you're putting a lot on your wife's spouse, on your spouse's shoulders. Um, and so those unintended consequences are, um, something that are like on my radar. So I try to do everything in my power to make sure that my wife's able to kind of manage the household. She still has a job as well. And, you know, kids are in school, little things like in September, like I have two acres, a lot of it's grass, like who's going to cut the lawn, like who's gonna do the grocery shopping, uh, when is she going to get a break from the kids? Uh, all that stuff's on my radar. So 40 year old Dan has learned over the last seven years since I've had kids to that just a scouting and working out and shooting my bow is actually the smallest part of the percentage of me getting ready for season. It's actually really ensuring that my home life is dialed. And I know that resonates with your listeners because I get so much feedback on Thank you for talking about this because no one else is. And I'm willing to do it because I think it's all about your priority list. And I talk about faith being my number one. And number two is family. And number three is fitness because I want to elk hunt long-term and be a real fit, healthy dad. Not a dad that's so tired, just wants to kick your feet up and watch Netflix and drink a beer at night. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but actually there's everything wrong with that because your kids grow up so fast. And number four is elk hunting. And number five is career. Career is below all those because I'm not a money chaser. I'm a time chaser. And when I die, I'm not going to be like, man, I wish I worked more. I'm going to, I'm going to think, man, I wish I'd taken my family camping more. And I wish I'd heard more Mm -hmm. elk bugling. So everybody should sit down and write down their priorities and rank them and act accordingly to them. So this podcast wouldn't be complete without really divulging that hunting is hard on the family, regardless of how much you do it. And, and 
Kevin, there's blue collar guys out there that only get two weeks of vacation a year. That's it. Is that fair to your family that those two weeks of vacation are all yours to go hunting? And then they're left for just two and three day weekends on holidays Mm -hmm. to go do stuff. So it's really hunting selfish pursuit in many ways. And it's a dichotomy that you have to kind of balance, you know, I need to go hunting it. It's part of who I am. I will come back a better version of myself. Uh, but at what cost? And you have to kind of weigh and, and figure out what works best for your family. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's good advice. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit. I know we're, uh, we started late and I don't want to hold you up all day, but I kind of want to just talk a couple more things, just uh, maybe a little bit about um, diet and training kind of, um, not what you cover in your elk shape, but kind of like your day to day for, for training and diet. So, um, what kind of training, like for your, for Dan Staten, what type of training do you do day to day? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have a home gym, yep. so I call that gym elk parking. And the reason why I call it <laughs> that is because it used to be a garage That's that cool. you could park your truck in. And you no longer can get a truck in there. Uh, I dedicated an entire garage space to home gym. I probably spent somewhere around, um, not all at once, young kids listening up, over time, delayed gratification. And I started with the most important pieces of equipment and just slowly started adding to my arsenal. And so now I have probably, I don't know, 10 grand worth of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm in my cool. little garage. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like how you, sorry to interrupt you there. I like how you, you mentioned you didn't, you know, you accumulated it over time because that's one thing, like you don't need a big, huge, fancy gym. I do the same thing at my house. I have a bench and I have a few free weights. I have a stair climber and a bike. And I mean, I'm able to work out, hit every muscle group, the core, everything I need to and just yep. with just that equipment, you know, you don't need all this stuff that you see at the gym. You don't need this big, huge, massive space. You just need, you know, you just need a little bit of, of dedication just to, just to work with what you got. I mean, there's, there's definitely ways. And, and especially nowadays, there's definitely information out there where you can learn how to hit all your, all your, uh, everything you need to for your workout. Exactly. So I, I think dumbbells are like one of the very first things to get just because there's just, it's limitless on what you can do with yep. a pair of dumbbells. So like the very first thing I ever bought was a pair of 50 pound dumbbells. They're not super heavy, but they're also not light and it can do the endless amounts of things. And then the next thing is I drug one of my big coolers into the garage. So now I have a box to do step ups on and I got dumbbells to do all the things. The next thing I bought was a squat rack, which I recommend over a bench. Uh, I think a lot of guys get a bench first and, and there's not a lot of bench pressing in the mountains. So get yourself a squat rack. Uh, A lot of those squat racks will have a pull-up bar attached to it at the top. Now you can do your squats, your pull-ups, your dumbbells, and you got your cooler or build a box or a plyo box, throw some weight in your backpack or make your own sandbag. And there's, you're pretty much out of excuses. And what that's done for me, Kevin, is obviously owning a gym for, 12 years. And then prior to that, working in the gym industry for another eight was, I was so used to going to a gym. So at first it was kind of weird to go work out at home 
but now I wouldn't trade it for the world because yeah. I live 20 minutes away from a gym. Yeah. Well, that's 40 minutes round trip times five days a week. That's a lot of e-scouting time. That's a lot of reps behind the bow. That's a lot of family but, time. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's a lot of everything. It's, it's playing catch with your kid in the backyard. I mean, that's a lot of, it's just a lot to me. That's, that's why, you know, I, I, I made the move to having my own home gym was just for the amount of time I would save. And it's just the simplicity of like, Hey, I'm running behind today. I'm going to, you know, a lot going on at work, but still I'm able to sneak in a quick 20 minute to 30 minute workout. And that's better than nothing. That's better than nothing. And you're just trying to win the day. Yeah. And I'll be honest to for your listeners. Like there are way more days where I don't feel like training than man. I can't wait to go work out. Like, and so those are the best days for me because those are the days where I get to make myself work out when I don't want to, which really translates in the mountains to, man, I don't really want to go gain 500 vertical feet to get the win right, but I'm going to, because I know it's the right thing to do. And I'm really tired and fatigued and I could just come right at these elk and maybe get away with it. But if I want to play it safe, I'm going to gain the extra 500 vertical feet and get on their level. And that whole mindset is for me is that's why I work out. I work mm -hmm. out so I can have many elk seasons. And so that I feel good about myself and that quite honestly, I have mental dividends building up year round for elk season because elk hunting is very mental yeah. and the, the right mindset is what it takes to really put yourself in a position to have elk meat on the menu year in and year out. So my training is very I would say short training bouts that are pretty intense. Um, it's a mix of functional movements and a little bit of CrossFit sprinkled into one. And starting December 1st, I am going to start listing out what I do in my garage gym every day. And I'm going to post not only the workout, but my score. So whatever time I got, whatever weights I use, whatever reps, whatever sets. Um, and I'm going to put that on a new platform called locals.com. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to charge for it. It's going to be like probably five bucks a month, but I'm just going to like, cause I get so many people ask me, what do I do? Like, I'm just going to put it out there and you can just see, Hey, try it, see if it's for you, but it's going to be home gym workouts. And I change up the variants so much that I don't get bored. I don't routine is the enemy. I don't have a routine and I like to constantly mix up the stimulus so that I'm seeing results and I'm not getting injured and overworking certain muscle groups. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge part is um, injury recovery time and stuff like that. What do you do in between your, what do you do in between your hunts? Like, are you working out after, as soon as you get home, are you in the gym right away? Or are you giving yourself, you know, a day or two, say you have a week between hunts, what, uh, what, what's kind of your workout uh, schedule for in between hunts? So I will work out like I leave Monday and I have an open ended schedule that, so I have basically three hunts and there's a chance I will come home between one of them. And there's also a chance that I won't. And so I'm going to train every day leading up to the hunt. I don't taper. Mm -hmm. I don't like 
do an in-season, pre-season, post-season. I'm going to train like I always train. I'm going to do large movements, large loads, long distances, really fast. I'm going to incorporate total body workouts. I will not isolate. You will not see me doing skull crushers or bicep curls. Um, I'll be doing big compound movements. Some will be conditioning pieces with weights, some conditioning pieces with just my body weight, some conditioning pieces that are monostructural, like on a, a fan bike or on a ski erg or a row erg. Um, and that's how it's going to be. So when I get back and if I get back and I have three, five, seven days between hunts, if I'm home training is part of what I'll be doing. Yeah, and there'll be very balanced workouts, just 20, 30 minute pieces, pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, repeat. Uh, I actually get in worse shape hunting than, than probably a lot of people. They actually get in better shape from hunting because they're moving and they're active and they're hiking. Uh, for me, I, I show up tip top shape. I show up in tip top shape and as I'm hunting, I'm my, my, my fitness actually is going down each day as I'm, um, sorry, uh, as I'm hiking for 12 hours a day, I show up pretty skinny, pretty weak once elk season's over. And so for me, I need to, to potentially kind of reset and kind of build some foundational strength back up before I get all crazy. Um, and, and that's good to have seasonality, I think on your body. So I will be taking all of September off from weight room, anything, there just won't be any time to move a barbell, mm -hmm. nothing. And once October comes, I will probably reset and start doing some just basic strength movements and just a little bit of conditioning. And as the season dwindles and I hit the off season, my strength sessions will get much more, uh, they'll have a lot more volume. Mm -hmm. the, the conditioning pieces will be a lot more intense. I'll have to start incorporating active recovery days where I'm not touching a weight, but I'm still just doing some stuff for flushing and, and whatnot. Um, and so I think everyone needs to figure out what their formula is going to look like. Right. Yeah. Not everybody shows up in tip top shape and comes out of season in worse shape than they started, it, it could be the opposite. And so then for you guys that get in great shape from hunting, then your job is to hold on to it. And, and I'll tell you this right now, most important thing I'm going to say on your podcast today is it's a hell of a lot easier to stay in elk shape than it is to go out of elk shape and try to get back in, especially as you age. Yeah, definitely. As you age, that's one thing. I'm 42 and I definitely notice, um, I definitely notice that if you can't, you got to stay on it, man. Cause you know, you miss something happens, you miss a week and then man, it takes you two weeks just to get back where you were three weeks ago. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. tough. It's tough. No doubt. You, uh, you mentioned hinging what for people who don't know, what do you, what's hinging? Hinging is different than squatting. Um, hinging would be more like a deadlift or a pull where you're using your posterior chain, your hamstrings, your butt, your lower back. Whereas a squat is more of like a movement that doesn't use as much hamstring. It's going to have some more adductor quad 
midline recruitment, um, but both movements are, are functional. Both movements are found in nature. Both movements weren't like invented by a human, like a man, like not man-made. It was like just kind of built into our DNA is we as humans, we, we run, we throw, we bend over and pick st stuff up. We have to squat down to get things. We have to press things overhead and pull things in all sorts of directions. And so hinging is just one super important part for a mountain hunter, especially because when you're going up a mountain, you're actually pulling yourself up the mountain with your posterior chain, using all that musculature from a hinge. And so I think people get pretty like focused on quads and, and maybe spend a little too much time on, you know, I would say leg extensions when in all actuality posterior chain is so so overlooked uh because we as hunters are it seems like we're always at some point going up and i personally prefer to be higher than animals i'm hunting almost always mm -hmm. uh so hinging squatting pushing and pulling those are your four basic movements yeah, I, I think a lot of guys too, they get hooked up on on uh on exercises that where you can see results faster, you know what I mean? Like bench press, heavy squats, um, bicep curls, stuff like that, right? Um whereas yeah, I mean um they look good and everybody likes to look good, but uh, you know, when you're packing an elk out, um isn't gonna do you a lot of a lot of good. So yeah. I still bench. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, I, I do too. Don't get me wrong. I still yeah. do the bench, but I mean, you know what I mean? You have to, you got to incorporate those other movements as well. And, um, if I had like one movement, I can only pick one movement. It's going to be either squatting or deadlifting yeah. because it uses so much of what you need. Uh, it would bench press would not be my first choice. Yeah. 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 You bet. That's what I was kind of getting at there. What about, uh, like stretching and flexibility, is that something you work on too? Or do you kind of incorporate that into your workouts? We try to incorporate as much of that into the warm-up cool-down componentry. Right. Yeah. But I would say that like the older I get, the more you're going to see like an active recovery day be some sort of yoga session. Um, and when I say yoga, I don't mean like um Eastern, like meditative, like I'm doing yoga like as a knuckle dragger. And so picture a guy who's probably pretty tight in his hips and pretty tight hamstrings. And I'm just going to try to break a sweat and move through some good stretching. Um, and, and then focusing on mobility to where I have full range of motion about all the joints and I'm recruiting muscles in the right patterns. And so a lot of mobility work comes from just breaking up tight muscles, muscle adhesions through foam rolling and lacrosse ball and do you, I don't know if do you have one of those massage guns. I think they're called the percussion guns. I have one of those best money spent ever. And just basically keeping an eye on, on how well you're moving. Uh, you can be strong, but if you lack mobility, it's going to be really hard to recruit muscles in the right way and to avoid injury. So yeah, mobility and stability and flexibility, they're all different, but they all work together. Yeah. I found the flexibility huge just for those long glassing sets. Oh um, man, yeah. You know, you don't nothing worse than getting stiff and then you, you have to get up and move quick and then you can't because something's, you know, tight or you have to sit there and stretch it out. So 
that's something I've really worked on. I noticed in the last, I'd say year and a half, two years is just flexibility. Um, how about injuries? How, how have you been for injuries? No injuries, no serious injuries. Um, I, so I used to compete at CrossFit. Um, I haven't competed since 2016 was my last go, uh, started out individual and then moved over to the team events. And if folks don't know what CrossFit is, don't worry about it. But, um, there, there's a CrossFit games that happens every year. And, um, we made it to the games two different years and competed at the highest level. And, and so in doing so there was, it's, it's not very sustainable to train that crazy. Uh, somewhere along the line in competition, I did tear my ACL completely on my left knee. Um, and opted, uh, actually scheduled surgery, uh, for after elk season that year. And then, did a bunch of my own like rehab and was able to somehow strengthen my hamstring so much. So that even the orthopedist who makes a lot of money, if he replaces my ACL with, you know, a skin or a, a hamstring graft or a cadaver, uh, anterior cruciate ligament, one of the most common things people tear, especially athletes, special soccer and basketball players, um, that, we canceled the surgery. And so oh. I've never had that repaired there. It, it just didn't seem like it was a good enough guarantee that it would be a hundred percent after surgery. And it was already feeling like 99%. So I have torn my ACL in my left knee. And what that means for me from a hunting standpoint is like that left leg can never really hyper extend because I don't have any breaks that ACL really prevents that hyperextension. And so I got to be a little bit more cognizant when I'm going over downfall. Uh, I do use trekking poles quite a bit and uh, you won't see me out there playing any more pickup basketball. Like I'm not a guy that can really make good cuts anymore, uh, but basketball is not a passion of mine. So I'm okay with that. So I stay pretty linear straight ahead in all my training. I do some agility work, but I'm real careful, real cautious. Uh, and then the other injury I had was actually this year and it wasn't bad, but, uh, it definitely was debilitating. And I'm super thankful that it happened to me because it does kind of help me have more empathy for towards athletes. When they tell me, Hey, my back hurts. Uh, I, I probably have a little bit of disc issue in my L4, L5, but, um, I feel like I'm pretty healthy right now. I don't, I don't, I have plenty of space between the discs, but I've had some like tightness in my left side of my lower back. It's gone into my piriformis, my glute, um, no numbness, no sciatica, but to the point where I couldn't touch a barbell for eight weeks, uh, which means no squatting, no loading the spine. And that was really good for me to have to really think outside the box and work through that injury. And, and even to this day, I haven't recouped a lot of the strength I've lost from that injury. Um, and just yesterday I was doing squat cleans at uh, 185 in a conditioning workout, which is probably in a workout like that, possibly 50 pounds lighter than I would normally go. But yet it was every bit of challenging, took everything I 
I, you know, I don't know what that is in kilos for you Canadians, but it's, it's more than my body weight. And, uh, it's just, I didn't have any pain. I felt a little tightness. And so my next workout session, I'm just going to avoid loading with the spine, loading the spine with any external loads. And so it's really made me have to focus more on mobility and stability and, and, um, kind of assess movements from the standpoint of what's the risks, what's the benefits, do the benefits outweigh the risks? Yes, they do. Okay. Then I'm going to do that movement. And if it's like, no, there's too much risk, I, I won't do it. And so you got to be your best advocate. You got to speak up for yourself and injuries are just part of being an athlete. If you are afraid to get hurt, then why are you elk hunting? Cause you could trip, twist an ankle, break a leg, uh, skiing. You could hit a tree and die. Like you can't live your life like that. But as an aging athlete, there's just, I, my focus gets more narrower and narrower. I'm, I'm less likely to try to impress my wife or kids and do some trick, uh, at the park or whatever. Uh, and I'm, I just don't want to be on the sidelines come September. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. Definitely. It's, uh, it's, and as you get older too, that your recovery time takes, takes longer for everything to grab a bruise takes twice as long as it used to. Right. Yeah, Why is man. that, man? It's not fair. <laughs> No. And then it's funny. I, I have, you know, older cousins and stuff. They're like, man, wait till you get 50. You think 40 is bad. I'm like, ah, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Yeah. So when I, I get don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. So what about diet, man? What's, uh, what's your day-to-day diet? Like really quickly, like you're kind of your, your, your do's and don'ts for what kind of what you, you eat and what you don't eat. Uh, don't eat ice cream, like two bowls. And then, uh, when you haven't had it for like, three months. And then, um, man, my, I did that yesterday. My wife's like, Hey, you're leaving for hunting and you're looking pretty skinny. Like you should probably get some extra calories. I brought you some ice cream, (laughs) which was great. Like I devoured it. I loved it. Oh my gut, uh, horrible gas. And just like, it wasn't worth it, man. And so the reason why I tell you that is twofold. One, I'm not a robot. I'm a human. I like cold beers. I like ice cream and I love pizza, but I also like feeling my best. And I like having high octane output in life. So I've really honed in on foods that make me feel full foods that sustain a high level of energy output and foods that help me recover, regenerate, renew from workout bouts. Uh, So that's what I've done. So it doesn't really matter, I guess, what I eat, because that's what works for me. And I think mm-hmm. everyone should try to do your own experiments and figure out what what foods are that for you. Um, for me, I do really well on a higher, a higher meat intake. So there's really not a meal encounter that doesn't go by where I have pretty much some sort of elk meat or chicken. But I, I like protein at every food encounter. Um, and then I try to get vegetables and fruits as my carbohydrate. And if I'm not having those as my carbohydrates, then it's gotta be a clean carbohydrate, like, uh, some sort of yam or, uh, wild rice, uh, or rolled out, you know, like I had oatmeal and eggs for breakfast today. Um, I just try to eat super clean. I try to eat three to five food encounters a day. And then I do have a post-workout recovery shake. Uh, and it's pretty simple, man, really. And if I go outside those confines, I don't feel my best. I don't, I don't. And that's, 
just something I, I don't like tolerating. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, man. Um, I think I'm going to wrap this up here, but uh, how much longer you got? Uh, how many more weeks till you take off for your, uh, for your elk hunt? I leave on Monday. Oh, wow. Right away. And I don't, like I said, it's three hunts. Uh, one's an antelope hunt and that's a meat hunt, man. I'm just trying to get antelope meat cause it's pretty good. And then I go right into two elk hunts back to back and I come home for five days, six days. Then I go on another elk hunt. Then I come home. I'm home for two weeks and I go on a deer hunt. Then I come home and then I go on one last elk hunt and then I come home and then I'm going to do whatever my wife says at that point. No doubt. How about man. you, man? What do you got? Uh, well, September 1st, it opens. So I'm going after, I'm actually going after a mule deer, uh, that I've been, I've had my eyes on. He's probably about, uh, he's over 200. He's in velvet right now. So yeah, he's a beauty. I love mule deer too. So I'll be out September 1st with, uh, for that it's open for archery. And then, uh, I'm going into the Granby, um, for a backpack hunt, um, for seven days for elk. So we'll see how that is. Um, actually just was going through my gear list right before we jumped on here. I got a new, uh, a new, uh, bear fence. I'm going to be trying out. So, um, I decided to try that out. Yeah. We're the Grambys. It's man, it's loaded with grizzly bears. So, um, you guys can't hunt them, right? No, we can't hunt them anymore. We used to be able to, but, uh, now we're not, we're not allowed to, so we got to stick to black bears. Here's the cool thing about that is like, once you take something away, you'll never get it back. Oh, I know. Isn't that cool? So just think about that before you got the ballot, you know, wildlife management through a ballot box. And, and I know like, Hey man, this isn't really what we wanted to talk about, but just cause another style of hunting, isn't your style. If it's still hunting, I would encourage you to look at trying to keep it. For example, trail cameras, for example, baiting, for example, long rifles, guys who shoot a thousand yards. Like, is it my cup of tea? No, but they're hunters. They're buying tags and license and hound hunting. Like used to be able to hound hunt for bears and, and cats here in Washington state. No. And guess what? We are overloaded with black bears and, and mountain lions and they're hungry and they got to eat. And they're a competition for hunting. So, um, yeah, like Utah down here, they banned trail cameras this year. Uh, really? For, yeah, it's banned. And baiting uh, for deer and elk. And so that's just kind of, that's just how it starts. It's a death by a thousand cuts. You know, it yeah. starts with a grizzly bear ban. And then yeah, next exactly. thing you know, it's a black bear ban. And then next thing you know, you, you guys can't use hounds for cats. And then it's just like, well, it's just, it's, it, it never ends. It's a snowball. And I tell people all the time, like, well, listen, I, yeah, you only hunt deer in the fall or moose in the fall. That's fine. But they start taking away these things. They're not going to stop. Like the people who are opposed to hunting, they're not going to stop at the grizzly bear. And then they're not right. Like right now they're trying to take away. Um, they're trying to take away trophy hunting in BC, which in, like on their list is elk, bighorn sheep, and all the predators, which are black bear, cougars and and wolves are trying to get rid of that so all those go now what are you looking at left for hunting now you we only have moose and deer i mean well in bc we can hunt pretty much everything but pronghorn but still right then what are they gonna be looking at then they're gonna be looking at taking away 
mountain goat hunting and then caribou hunting and then moose hunting and then we have the deer and then you think they're going to be okay well we're good now no they'll be looking at taking away that because i mean that's their that's their agenda right it's uh so yeah it's uh man it's it's tough it's tough to get that message across and you know especially here in bc it's uh it's really tough it's frustrating yeah but uh anyway man what uh one more question before you go here what uh what's your bucket list hunt uh alaska coastal brown bear oh, don't cool. you know hey yeah i want cool, to get on the ground with a bow from a 1500 pound brown bear man like that's just, cool just advertising it out there that's what i want to do <laughs> yeah i wish uh grizzly bear up here was always leh and i applied every year and i never got one we have a lottery draw for our leh system so oh so it wasn't over the counter huh no it was uh leh so i applied and i think i applied five or six years and i never got one and in 2017 uh, the uh, our unelected government pulled the plug on grizzly bear hunting go figure man i'm sorry <laughs> well alaska will have to do the yukon you can still hunt them so i got a buddy up there a couple buddies up there now maybe i'll go tag along or move in with them nice how long have you been doing the podcast uh i started last oh man last uh, october september october so you're at a year yeah pushing on a year now so uh yeah it's been a lot of fun dude it's uh it's been a lot of fun meeting uh new guys and, and like yourself and, and everybody else so everybody's got uh, something going on but uh, it's pretty cool a lot of stuff going on in the states a little more than up here in canada which is uh which is pretty neat and interesting and yeah man it's uh it's been a blast cool we'll keep up the good work man okay buddy uh where can every where all can all us canadians uh find and follow you and uh and keep tabs on elk shape and listen to your podcast Right on. Well, I appreciate you, Canucks. I got love for Canada. I really do. I mean, I'm your neighbor, not too far away. Uh, elkshape.com. And then uh, Instagram is Elkshape. Uh, YouTube, we got a pretty big channel, Elkshape. And then um, the other thing I do is the elkcollective.com. And uh, check out those. Yeah, check out all those things and let me know what you think. Yeah, we'll do. I'll put all, uh, all your information up in the show notes too. Okay, buddy. Thanks again. Eh? We'll talk all to right. you later. Best of luck this year. Likewise.